Are you ever faced with a decision and confused by your options? Become empowered with the knowledge to make informed choices, expand your awareness, and go beyond the mainstream. Infuse your life with spirituality and surround yourself with a community of like-minded people. Welcome to Empowered Today. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Natural Childbirth 101, and now our host, Jennifer Hemphill. Welcome everyone to Empowered Today. We're so excited to have you. Today we have an exciting topic. Our children from birth to age five. Common issues and solutions. We have a lot of things to talk about today like parenting and colic and physical issues. All those fun things that we love to worry about as parents and may not have all of the information we need to make the best choices My friend Kaleem is with me as always, and we're going to be talking to you uh, now about these topics. So Kaleem, hey, how are you? I'm doing great, Jen. I'm excited about this one because uh, so many times, because having been a pediatric nurse and then being a, a, a midwife, I heard about all kinds of these things, especially things like colic and reflux. Oh my goodness, reflux. Why is my baby not sleeping? How do I get my toddler to sleep? Breastfeeding issues. My two-year-old is really stressing me out, you know? So (laughs) I'm excited about this. So I know nutrition is one of the biggest keys, and you've got some hot topics on that. I do. I've got some pet peeves, too. I'm going to be whining as a parent here because we know that there are so many influences on our kids And we don't always have complete control over what they eat and how they metabolize things. And, you know, we sit, unfortunately, in a situation where we are surrounded by influencers, whether it's those people who are on the TV or media of some sort, or even just driving down the street. I mean, how many different, you know, fast food places are there? Oh my gosh, (laughs) every corner you look at. It's crazy. Yeah. And so, of course, our kids from the time they're born see all of this and, you know, want to eat things that we would really prefer they not eat. And it's sugary and it's salty and it's greasy and they go, mmm, mm, isn't this right? delicious? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, and we can only control so much, first of all. So we're not purists here. We're not trying to tell everybody perfection is the only answer. Not even close. But we do have some suggestions, things that might help you to be able to rein it in a little sometimes. Um, We were just talking the other day about, hey, what's in your pantry? Uh, You know, it's it's that kind of thing where it's the, the guy next door may do it a little different. And we've talked with every podcast about the path up that mountain has a million different ways to go. So what's right for you? What's right for your family? But as far as recommendations, we know that the more you can do for your kids that's whole and organic, the better off you're going to be. And, you know, I have my own reasons why my own, you know, family has some conditions that I know the closer it is to the ground, the less it's on it, the better off they're going to metabolize it, the more nutrients they're going to get from it. Um, My kids, we have celiacs that runs in the family. And although there is, of course, the gluten component to a celiac's allergy, and that's someone who has a sensitivity or a condition that reacts to gluten, which is in common, uh, baked products, oats, wheat, rye, barley. Um, But there are other things that make conditions like that worse. 
Okay. If my kids have too much sugar, oh, I'm going to know it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's that permeability or the way that the uh, intestine doesn't quite work the same in somebody who has celiacs. And so you add a bunch of sugar in there, nice big Coca-Cola at the uh, movie theater. And now suddenly my daughter is having a fit. She's going to lose her mind. And so we know as parents, there's those things that we should probably try our best to keep out of the kids' diets and help help them to be able to be strong and healthy, uh, have a good immune system, you know, stuff like that. We also have conditions that we know kids, again, very common, but things like colic and reflux. And you've had experiences with those both professionally and personally. Clean. what have you done with those? So <clears throat> I wanted just to uh, bring in that, you know, when, when someone's pregnant with a child and the, even the amniotic fluid that they're drinking is they're tasting and experiencing the things that we're eating. And I think that when we can begin even from there to begin that from the ground up, you know, I'll tell people all the time, the best thing you can do in pregnancy is to eat a colorful diet and stay in the produce aisle as much as possible. And so then afterwards, you know, babies, if they're breastfeeding, which, you know, we hope that they do, um, they're populating their gut and they're helping to develop all of that. But then around that three-week three, three week mark, people say, oh, my baby has colic. And I'm like, well, some of that is that their digestion is changing. And what we eat does affect them through the breast milk. And sometimes it is dairy. Sometimes it's gluten. Sometimes it's eggs and, and all these things. And so I think sometimes when they're pregnant, they say, oh, I'm going to be pristine. Now I've had it. I've had it. I'm going to nurse my baby and I'm not going to worry about it. And some babies thrive great on that and some babies don't. Right. And the whole thing with reflux has, uh, and colic and digestive issues, I think has a lot to do with the research that, um, that, uh, Davis, uh, university did because they did a research project to look for the bacteria that we populate in our gut. And what they found was, was that most of the generation today has lost that ability to populate that in the baby as they're being born. They should be populating that. And because of that, their, their uh, intestinal system can't handle digesting even the breast milk with a lot of things. And so uh, part of the reason that that happened was the massive use of antibiotics. Right. And if you look at a hospital system, really a minimum of 40, closer to about 60% of uh, women birth givers get antibiotics during labor, which, you know, sterilizes their gut. Then they don't have what they need to help populate their baby. And then all of a sudden you've got a baby who not only didn't get what they need, but they had a sterile gut to begin with. And it's going to be compounded by our environment as well, because we know now that all of the pesticides we're using on all of our foods is also killing flora. So we're getting a double whammy when we yep. don't eat with organics because now we're also losing the ability to repopulate that through whole foods. And digest it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're losing the enzymes. Right. So when you look at, at babies like with reflux and that, I can't tell you how many babies I've had come into my office that they are diagnosed with reflux. And 
it, it's if it is a refluxing, the the solution is to give them uh, antacids. I mean, adult antacids. Right. Well, Crazy. what happened to the digestion of nutrients? Right. So we go back to that that we need to have good food. We need to feed it to our bodies, and we need to feed it to our babies, and rather that's through the through when they're in utero mm-hmm. or through breast milk, and then as we start solids. Right, right. And now if you're going to be using any kinds of quote-unquote baby food, we know there's also a tremendous lack of nutrients in those. They're not going to be made the way that you could make them. And it's not hard to do. And then there's all kinds of recipe books out. But if you're going to move to solids and the children don't have teeth, which we'll talk about more later on because they really shouldn't be until they can chew them. But if you're going to go that route, then by all means, do something with organic foods, do it on your own, and make sure that whatever you're giving your baby will benefit that flora. Because, you know, there's so many studies now that connect that flora to so many other conditions from the time you're small till, you know, till you're grown. You know, when you look and you search online about just the bowel. Yeah. Boy, you'll read things that I never even thought of that the bowel could be connected to, which right. is our brain function. Absolutely. So when we have kids that are struggling with that because maybe their diet is based on a lot of white starch, mm-hmm. right, um, that becomes so difficult on them to be able to handle things. And then as they're growing, how are they supposed to develop muscles and bones and brain cells, right? And so that gut is really an important thing to keep uh, a watch on. And so that food is, you know, just really we are what we eat. Paramount, yeah. I mean, a lot of studies now are calling the gut the second brain, right? So now there's all kinds of correlations that are being done with that. Um, You know, in addition to just the good foods that we want to feed our kids and keeping them away from the stuff that may taste good but may not have any nutrient value... And then we look at the toxicity in some of the the food products, you know, conventionally grown foods that have all kinds of things sprayed on them so that they can make it to market, so they can be profitable. We look even beyond that when it comes to some of these uh, conditions like colic and like reflux and like sleep uh, disturbances. You know, um, it's going to be something we're always going to pull in uh, when we're talking about our topics. There is an emotional and a spiritual component to these things, too, that isn't talked about. And we want to make sure that our listeners, that you guys always know that there's something else. You know, when that part of your gut says, hmm, maybe there's another reason. How many babies can really have colic and it be only about whether or not their mom ate pizza the night before? Um, let's think about the fact that there is a connection, a direct connection between this baby and this mother. And in those weeks following delivery, it's suddenly severed. Uh, there's a, a fundamental lack of connection that happens the moment that baby is born. When you consider they've lived literally inside the mother for nine months for all of their existence, and now suddenly they're separated. There's an element to that that we strongly believe influences some of these what we call behavior disturbances maybe they're not disturbances at all maybe they're communication maybe this baby is doing its best whether it's a colic situation or a reflux situation or a sleep disturbance maybe they're trying to tell you something they need you 
They've been with you their entire existence, and now you're wanting them to operate solo, and they're just not ready. I mean, what do we think about that? So I tell parents often when they say to me at a baby who's a week old, I can't get my baby to sleep in the other room in their crib. And I think, you know, they're not meant to sleep that far away. Even research now is is saying, you know, they need to be kept close so that we can keep an ear out for them. And I think, you know, a baby's used to being walked, rocked, held. They hear our voice all the time. They hear the whooshing of the placenta. And when babies come out and young children... They're, they're gradually learning how to move from us to become independent people. By the time they're three to four months old, they're starting to reach out to the world, but they still need to be pouched and with us, right? When they start crawling at, you know, six to nine months, they're able to, to move away, but they need to know that we're there and that they can be picked up and loved and carried. When they start to walk, yes, I get it. They start to walk and run, and it's hard to keep a handle on them because, frankly, they've found newfound freedom. And I like what you say is that that spiritualness within them says, I need an opportunity to grow and develop who I am where I know that you're here for me, that you're present with me. When I show you something, like... They, they have this toy and they're lifting it up and they're showing it to you. And, and you just take that moment to go, wow, isn't that interesting? Um, I, I love this little story about one of my grandkids. And she was about 15 months old and she and her older sisters, they would come over to lunch every Wednesday for about two hours. And we had a great time. Well, she got to be about 20 months and she always had this little scowl on her face, like, I don't know if I trust you or not. You know, <laughs> she was not into imparting in anybody else but her mom, and I just gave her that space. Mm -hmm. But when she was about 22 months old, she came in the house, and I noticed she had a gorgeous, a cute little outfit on and her little shoes, and I just said, oh, I love your shirt. Your pants just look fantastic, and your shoes are so cute. Well, something fired off in her. Because every Wednesday, she'd come right in the door and come up to me, and she couldn't talk yet, but she'd, 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 she'd tell me, <laughs> and she'd go all down her outfit, all the way to the shoes. And from then on, we were the best of friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really about being that present to listening and learning what are they needing to say to us? And I know you and I had conversations when you had a young one, and you'd call me up and go, why is she crying? <laughs> and I would say, I don't know, put her on the phone. <laughs> and she was a young baby, and I remember just thinking, I just need to listen. What is it that she's telling us? Right. Right? And babies are not easy. They don't come with this little... Uh, well, this will date me a ticker tape that only those of you that are in your like 60s or 70s even know what a ticker tape is. Anyway, they don't come with this little uh, manual that, that writes out, I feel tired, I feel hungry, I feel, you know, lost. What's going on? Are we moving? Who is this person? I don't feel safe, whatever it is. Or I just need to be picked up and loved and held. Can you just hold me today? I'm just having one of those days. 
And what they do is they just express it by being grumpy and upset. And I don't want to get into my car seat and I don't want to go to the grocery store. And I really don't like that person over there. They're staring at me in my car seat, you know. And I think that when we can nurture that spiritualness in them and we feed them, we feed them in all ways. We feed them by food. We feed them by nurturing their spirit and we feed them by listening. And when we can do that with a child, the child feels like they can explore who they are, what their world is, and they can begin to become who they, who that special person is inside them. Because you'll honor them. Totally. They feel understood. And don't we all just want to feel understood from the time we're here till the time we leave? So now let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. Courses.NaturalChildbirth101.com is your premium education video online series for pregnancy, childbirth, breastfeeding, and parenting. Natural Childbirth 101 will be your guide on your journey to welcoming your baby with joy and celebration. Learn the proven ways that thousands have used to take ownership for their journey and to create the most amazing memories you and your baby will share for a lifetime. Go to courses.naturalchildbirth101 to subscribe to your Bundle of Joy subscription today. You know, I think too about when we were talking about colic in particular because it's something that so many people have this this worry and this struggle with when they have when they're new parents, especially if they're first time parents. And you know, so many of the practitioners will say, "Well, just go through the list. You know, check their diaper, just give them some food. You know, just burp them a little more." And I think sometimes they just want you to look in their eyes and be sure that they know that you know they're there. There, there's nothing else more important. There's nothing else that'll come first. And I think oftentimes it has a lot to do with that. I also think though, and you brought this up and it, it keyed something in me. When a baby is born, what they're used to hearing is no longer there and cannot be reproduced. I mean, certainly they have those little toys where it gives the whooshing sound or the heartbeat, but it's not the same. And I can only imagine you know, I've, I know with times when I've gone on a, a work trip and the sounds are completely different around me at night, I can't sleep. Well, what about those little babies who are listening for that sound that they're so used to hearing and it's not there? Yeah, I don't think I'd be sleeping either. And if you're that far away from them, you know, they can't feel you either. So, yeah, I just wonder if there's so many of these what we call common ailments or, or conditions that really have more of a spiritual or emotional component than we'd like to believe. I completely believe that they do. You know, there's been times when people say, oh, that's Kaleem. She's the baby whisperer. <laughs> and I think, no, I'm just listening, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, and we all have that ability to listen, especially as parents. You're, you're the most synergistic person in their lives. Um, to listen to them. And sometimes we question that as a parent. We'll say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's what it is. Well, here's another case in point. I'll tell you a quick story. <laughs> I, have, I have stories. Um, I had a family who um, said something's going on with my child. And I said, well, what's happened in the last few days? You know, well, okay, they took a little tumble off the bed. I said, okay, well, let's, you know, let's see what's going on. And long story short was I said, um, you know what it is. 
And something sparked that that parent to go and look in the on the internet in the middle of the night. And she looked it up and she said, I think my child has this. And within 24 hours, you know, when she called me up and she says, I think this is what it is, I went, well, that seems highly unlikely. That's very unusual. But within 24 hours, this child was manifesting more. And I said, I think you're right. I think you better take that child in. And it was. She knew exactly what it was. And that baby spent about a week and a half in the hospital. And it wasn't from the fall off the bed, mm-hmm. which is what she thought. So I've always said to parents, you know, it's quieting your conscious brain down and getting into your innate brain that says, I know this child and I've always known them in my tummy and I have listened to them. Now, if you didn't carry them in your tummy, much like I didn't, there's still that awakening in your brain of that parenting, that maternal or paternal instinct that wakes up in your brain when you begin to become a caretaker to a child. And that instinct turns on, and if we quiet ourselves down and we begin to listen to our child and say, I'm hearing you, what do you need me to know? We begin a whole world of communication with them. And it should start in pregnancy, but not everybody understands that. So we start from where we are right now, however old that they are, even if they're adults. You um, had a class uh, a couple weeks back, and I know there was some discussion about that awakening as a parent, and that the parent mind actually grows right alongside the baby's mind, that there are synapses and connections uh, neurologically that happen as soon as you're handed a baby and told you will be a primary caregiver. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, my understanding is we have this beautiful place in our brain that lays dormant. And it isn't awakened until we begin that nurturing to that child. And when a child is born, be it from you, it begins to awaken very quickly that you have to protect, provide, watch over, be alert in your ears, even when you're sleeping. And that innate intuitiveness within you of the child awakens and that part of the brain actually begins to fire off and learn and grow and understand how to help raise this child. And even though you may not be the biological parent, the same thing happens to the other parent or to an adoptive parent or an intended parent from a surrogacy. The same thing happens when that child is in their arms and they are the caregivers. They are the ones that are going to nurture, love, kiss, bathe, change them, care for them, protect them. It turns on and it fires up and it begins to learn and it says, take watch, keep an eye on them, make sure they're cared for, make sure that they're, uh, they're helped, they're nurtured and protected. And to me, that's fascinating because it doesn't have to be from you. Mm -hmm. It only has to be in your heart. Right. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night 
and said, I heard something. You know, it's that level of well, mother hearing. Uh, you know, nobody else in the house will hear it, but you will. <laughs> the radar will go up. Um, and I've heard it from a lot of other moms too, that they feel like they, they sleep with one eye open. You know, it's like, wait, I heard something over there. Um, you know, there's been a lot of additional studies done too about development and development of the child. And, uh, one of the studies that you were talking about recently that was fascinating to me is the correlation between crawling and mental development in a child. And it occurred to me, how many different types of apparatus do we have now to keep our child in? Uh, they very rarely hit the floor anymore, typically. Uh, and, and seeing this study and hearing more from you about this just fascinated me that, you know, we can buy a swing and a saucer and a this and a that, and the kid is now entertained and in this thing, but they don't crawl or at least very infrequently. Can you talk about what happens with crawling and how it's so fundamental to the development of a child? Well, first and foremost, I did not crawl as a child because I was put into a walker, right? Because in my day, that's what you did because that was the thing that was the right thing to do. And I had reading difficulty, now, I didn't understand that. My mom didn't understand that at the time, and, you know, we worked our way through it. But when I did understand it, I began to realize that I needed to start crawling. But I now was in my, you know, 20s or 30s, and I was now having to make up for neurotransmitting that did not get programmed in to the initial program. So with our brains, our brains are very bilateral in the beginning, and they must cross over. And crawling is the first development that we do as an infant that helps teach our brain how to cross over. So we're actually developing brain connections when we do that. And so as that brain connects, it also causes our visual acuity which allows us reading because we read from right to left, or if you're in a country that reads from left to right or up to down, whichever way, but it must go from side to side. And so that crawling is essential because we use a right hand, left leg, left hand, right leg, and we go back and forth. And being able to do that sets us up for walking. Now, people would say, oh, well, if we walk, we do that right, left with our legs. Not enough. We don't do it in the same way, and we don't develop the same types of curvatures in our spine and how we integrate it. And as a pediatric body worker, I've worked with a lot of kids that come in, and they're what people call crawling or scooting or army crawling, which means they're on their bellies and they're pulling. But that is not that right-left brain get up on your all fours that helps you prepare for standing and walking. And so very easily parents get um, commercialized into some of the, the little chairs, the little seats that they can sit a child in even on the counter while they cook. Now I don't mean a, um, a, a bouncer where they're sort of laying in it because they're tiny um, because you need some place for them not to be around splattering grease or something. I don't mean that. But I mean chairs that actually sit them straight up, that their back is, is straight. 
and it supports them before they ever have muscle control to do that. Now, the one thing that that does is that a child can't move. They can't get out of that chair and continue their development. So then we see them put them into walkers. For a while, we didn't have walkers because they weren't safe. Mm -hmm. Now they've kind of put walkers back on the market, and they put what they call a dish. In other words, they can sit a child in it with their legs hanging down where the child can actually push off the bottom, which I want you to know when they're pushing from their feet, this is not a good thing for their body or their development, but they can play because they're now upright because it's a little bit easier. Right. Children need to go from being in a pouch or in a baby wearing in your arms to down on the floor, either on their backs and then they roll to their tummies because rolling, again, is right-left brain development. It's exploring the world at the development that they can do. They roll, then they pivot, then they pop up on their little, their little all fours and they rock and then they go kaplunk on their tummies. But they get up and they rock. And while they're rocking, they're developing their muscles and their coordination. And then eventually they go, I think I can do it. And one hand goes forward. <laughs> and then they begin to crawl. And they get very good at crawling. And then they pull up to a stand. And they cruise along furniture holding on because they don't have balance. They don't have the muscle control yet. Then eventually they think, okay, I'm going to put both these arms out like a tightrope walker. <laughs> and I'm going to try one step and I fall down. Okay, let's try that again. Because they're excited. They're excited about what can they do. And their brain is developing normally. And it's not just for that early physical development. It's for reading and writing and math and learning and creativity and imagination. And it, it expands into everything in their world. They need permission unfortunately, from many parents to put away the discs, to put away the walkers, to put away the things, because frankly, they don't need anything except maybe oh, a wooden spoon or some fabric or other things. They also don't need anything with batteries, no batteries, because you want them to be able to explore it with their hands and their mouth and their feet. Putting their feet in their mouth is a great thing. If you put them in a dish or a seat early, they miss that. And I will tell you, if you talk to, to uh, pediatric uh, physical therapists, we're teaching kids how to put their feet in their mouth, right? I mean, for heaven's sakes, they shouldn't be arching in their backs. So for me, it's vitally important to keep the extracurricular things out of the way of young infants that are developing. You know, on top of all of that muscle development, neurological development, there's also that other component that we haven't talked about yet, and allowing our children to grow confident in their bodies, their body awareness. If they don't use their body fully, they may miss that opportunity. They learn courage. They learn persistence. They you learn their determination because they know that the only way they're going to get from point A to point B is if they learn how to crawl or walk or scoot or roll over. And we, we diminish their ability at this early age to kind of, as my mother used to say, play with a net. 
Let's do it when it's not dangerous. Let's learn these skills so that when they get a little older, they have confidence, they have body awareness, and they have the courage to try. I think there's so much about what's happening in this day and age that rids the opportunities, you know, just because we're trying to make it easier on ourselves more than likely. But, you know, those kids need the opportunity to fall down, get back up and say, I'm okay. And, you know, if they can't do that, then later in life, you know, when they're in their teens and 20s and life doesn't go the way they expect it to the first time they try, it, it may not go at all. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on getting rid of the stuff and giving the, the kids, the little tiny ones, a chance to really develop the way they were intended to. Well, I love what you're bringing up because it's so important to their growth and development past the littles. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can't rise again, they won't try. And when things get hard, they just give up. Right, right. So why try? And they don't get, you know, that that opportunity to really grow. And this is the best time for them to do it because at least at these years, the chances of them seriously hurting themselves with a bad choice are slim. (laughs) Not to say they don't happen, but they're a little safer Um, You know, we were talking a little bit too about nutrition earlier, and I wanted to dive in a little bit more to that because, you know, as we have these little ones and if they're breastfed or if they have, um, you know, early solids and and whatever, um, there may be more control over what they're eating. As they get into that three, four, five, they certainly have opinions about what they want to eat. And they certainly have uh, nutritional needs also because they're growing so fast. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is making sure that it's a nutrient-rich food. But our foods are not as nutrient-rich as they used to be. You know, the ground itself has been overworked. We talked already about some of the things that are sprayed on things to make sure they make it to market so that they're profitable. But one of the other things we know is that our nutrient base is, is diminished. And so supplements are sometimes helpful, especially for these quick growing children. We talked about flora a little bit, the the bacteria in the gut. Sometimes they'll need a little help with that. But there's also other conditions that we've seen historically and presently that might be helped by some nutrition or supplements. Maybe we should talk a little bit about those. So I know that, um, you know, there's things such as diabetes and multiple sclerosis, there's um, even Alzheimer's, you know, things Mm -hmm. that can happen in quite aged, Um, osteoporosis from, you know, lack of of the way we absorb calcium because we're now vitamin D deficient, Um, just brain function and the lack of omegas, you know, we struggle with. And, you know, as we go into future podcasts and we really dive into this nutrition um, it, we're going to just open up a whole world of what all of these things are. And I just think, you know, we, we sometimes forget that what we're doing as an early in, in our children's lives and in our early life really is the seeds of the garden that we're setting for how we're going to deal with when we're older. Absolutely. And, you know, I love being active and vibrant. I love going and doing all that I do mm-hmm. with kayaking and biking and walking and hiking. And, you know, at my age of 61, I'm like, I'm expecting 50 more years. You know, I am actually more than that. And I know I have to take care of me. Right. 
But I know that when, I, when we're younger is the time to keep setting those seeds. We can never get lazy on them. Right, right. So things like um, having enough vitamin C, we don't want that to come from a fruit juice. That's going to have more sugar than it's going to have nutrients. But we know vitamin C is critical. There's been historical data about the deficiency of vitamin C and developing diseases. Um, you know, we have an immune system that really needs support, especially now more than ever. And if we have children who aren't getting enough vitamin D, you know, we're not outside the way we used to be. And quite frankly, our bodies don't convert enough nutrients to vitamin D anymore. So we may have a need to make sure that our children get enough. You know, people sometimes are so afraid of pills. Yeah. Right? Because of the, the whole drugs and everything. Right. And when I've said to somebody, I'd like you to take this herb, they're like, mm, I don't take pills. I'm like, I get it, but do you eat? <laughs> right. Right? Yes. And, you know, su supplements are sort of broken down right. of these food sources, but herbs and uh, things of that nature are, are just foods that have been dehydrated, mm -hmm. that we can't possibly eat enough of them. Right. And people say, well, you know, I don't know that we need all of that. And I say, well, because of the way our food system is, because of how our bodies are challenged, sometimes they need support. And right. I think that's what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Is that support to our system. Right. Um, we, we buy what we can from the grocery store. We have to fill in what our individual needs might be. And that's huge. Yeah. And what, it's not a one size fits all. It certainly isn't, you know, just a certain age group needs something. Uh, it's, you know, person to person and need to need. So yeah, it's important that we look at each other individually. Well, I have had such a great time talking about nutrition and and growth and development and how to help our kids um, to just blossom and grow. I mean, what's the next podcast going to be, Jen? <laughs> well, I'm so glad you asked because the <laughs> next one is huge. And I think a lot of people uh, will be very interested. So uh, what you need to know next is going to be about uh, education for our kids. Is there uh, more options out there? Uh, what do you think? If you have any questions, we'd love for you to email us uh, at our website, and we will be able to include those in our next podcast, podcast number five, Education and Our Children, age 5 to 12. Well, I guess we're bringing another podcast to a closing. And as we close this podcast... We want to celebrate you, all of you, for making the decision to be with us. Living today empowered. And until next time, live your empowered life. Thank you for listening to Empowered Today. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Natural Childbirth 101. We are looking forward to you joining us for our next episode.